The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Human design is a system that offers profound insights into your inner self and how you interact with the world around you. Quantum human design takes that process one step further, allowing you to become the architect of your own reality. Join Dr. Karen Curry for Elevating Your Life Script, a weekend workshop where you transform your life by crafting intentional narratives, May 24th through 26th at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. How to eat better, get healthy, and help animals. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. We've probably all heard that if you ask for something, the answer is sometimes no, and if you don't ask, the answer is always no. But to celebrate that the answer is often yes, I want to let you know that today's program is 100% due to an email from a listener. She had two areas of interest that were somewhat connected, and so two amazing registered dietitians are going to be on the program today to uh, address the concerns of Lynn Cowie out in uh, Seattle. Now, I do need to let you know that Lynn Cowie is a graduate of Main Street Vegan Academy. She's one of our certified vegan lifestyle coaches and educators, and when somebody becomes one of those, they kind of also become honorary family and I guess I'm more likely to say yes but if there's something you really want in the world ask and uh, Lynn this is your show hi everybody I'm Victoria Moran of Main Street Vegan wonderful to be with you today what we're going to be discussing at the request of Lynn Cowie but I'll bet it's something that a whole bunch of people have been thinking about and just didn't ask is nutrition. So after the break, we're going to be talking with your one of your favorite dietitians, Brenda Davis, about specific nutrients. And I know we're all about Dr. Campbell and whole and whole foods. And yet we know that there are these components and we hear about them. And sometimes we hear that vegans have trouble with some of these nutrients. So that's what we're going to be focused on in the second half of the program. And in the first half, we're going to be talking for Lynn and her daughters who are looking Mm -hmm. at careers and and, uh, for other people who have an interest in a fascinating profession. We're going to be talking about just what it is to be a registered dietitian and what it takes to become one. 
So to discuss this, I am so happy to be introducing Serene Chow. She is a culinary trained registered dietitian nutritionist for organizations and national brands focused on making delicious plant-based eats sustainable and accessible for everybody. Serene believes that food cultures and traditions should be celebrated and incorporated as part of living a happy, healthy life. When she's not learning about a new ingredient or food at her local farmer's market, you can find her teaching food justice and culinary nutrition to health professionals nationwide. Welcome, Shireen Chow. Thank you so much, Victoria. I'm so excited to be here. Well, it's wonderful (laughs) to have you. So just before we get into how to be an RD, how did you become one? Yeah, um, I actually didn't know about becoming a dietitian. This is actually my second career. I was working in tech, and I've always had a passion for food and wellness. Um, So I really, really wanted to look into more of those things to help me feel a little bit more fulfilled. And I absolutely love being a dietitian. And I knew I wanted to focus on culinary, uh, the culinary aspects of food and nutrition. And so I went to culinary school first um, in New York City and um, went to a, the school called the Natural Gourmet Institute at the time. And then I went back to school to become a dietitian. And I knew that dietetics wasn't always, um, it wasn't the, the way that I grew up eating, uh, the curriculum at the time and even now, but I really wanted to be part of the industry so that I can help change that or transform it. So were you vegan or vegetarian when you were going to Yeah, I was, uh, I was born and raised vegetarian. Mm. Yeah, and, and I've uh, been vegan for the, for the past few years. So I see. Yeah. So I think that was one of the main questions that Lynn had, and I've certainly heard it mm-hmm. from other people considering the profession and, and moms, <laughs> people considering the profession, that there are so much connection of, of the meat and dairy industries and some of the processed food industries just in supporting the nonprofits. So how does somebody get through school without being brainwashed? Um, I mean, I think that it's, I think school is, is not so much, um, you know, you, you don't see so much of the industry influence in schools. So specifically, um, I think in the different programs, if you're looking at specifically nutrition programs, um, of course, we're talking about the dietary guidelines and my plate, and you do see dairy there. Um, but for the most part, you are promoting a plant-based diet. And unfortunately, right now, we don't have ways to really create just a vegan plate. Um, there are different organizations that have examples out there, but I really wish, and that's something that I do advocate for. Um, and I spoke at the Dietary Guidelines Committee last year testifying so that we can have a more inclusive plate to be able to create um, accessible food, so vegan food or plant-based meals for everyone instead of promoting um, the usual things that we see on there. Yeah. And when when I look at your your degree, you're an RDN, and most of the RDs I know are just RD. What's the difference? Oh, that's a great question. So um, it's actually the same. Uh, you can choose to call yourself a registered dietitian RD or RDN, registered dietitian nutritionist. 
So that's that's the only difference. Um, they added the nutritionist piece because I think a lot of people um, felt like that was easier to relate to, to say nutritionist. Um, but of course, we all know that saying nutritionist isn't uh, regulated everywhere, but registered dietitian um, is regulated. I see. Okay, well, I had wondered about that for a while, yeah. and now I will wonder no longer. <laughs> so there... There are plant-based RDs, and there actually have been, I mean, I, I've known them as long as I've been around mm -hmm. this, this work, you know, over 40 years, but there aren't very many. So I know that you are, are now heading up the um, plant-based nutrition practice group within the uh, Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. So tell us what that group does and how we can find them. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics is our professional association for dietitians, diet techs, uh, nutrition students. So anyone in the field, um, this would be our professional association. And within that professional association, there are actually several different specialties or practice groups that you can be a part of, as well as member interest groups. And so one of them is the Vegetarian Nutrition Dietetic Practice Group or for short, VNDPG. And you could find us um, at vndpg.org, and that would be more of a member site. And so actually we have um, about 1,500 to 1,600 members that are um, either practicing dietitians, uh, students focused on vegetarian or vegan nutrition or plant-based nutrition, or those who want to have that specialty or focus on those things. And um, so we actually have quite a few members part of it. And right now I'm serving as uh, the chair role, so the past chair. It's a three-year role. I was the chair last year and I'm in the past chair role, but pretty active on our board. So is this also, this website you gave, vndpg.org, is that where people would go who are looking for um, a registered dietitian with whom to consult? Uh, yeah, that would be a great place. There's a link there that says find an RD. That would be a good place to um, look for an RD. But another one would be to, um, you can also reach out to our board specifically if you need help finding someone who is uh, focused on vegetarian or vegan nutrition, um, you know, depending on what state you're in. One thing about our group is that we have members across the country and even internationally. We have a state coordinator in every single state so that we host um, different vegan, vegetarian events um, and where you show up at a lot of these different uh, vegetarian uh, conferences or fairs just to have a presence, and usually we're, we're hosting an RD booth or giving a talk. Very nice. And and just before I jump into to the tempe of this discussion, mm -hmm. I, I just want to know what your parents were like. Why were you raised vegetarian? Yeah, my parents, um, I grew up in a very holistic household. Uh, both my parents, including my grandmother, uh, all practice Chinese medicine. And so that's the kind of environment I grew up in. And we have a big temple in our house um, practicing Taoism. And so that's part of, uh, for religious and health reasons, uh, why I was born and raised vegetarian. 
Oh, that's wonderful. I love everybody's story. <laughs> that's great. Okay, so let's go to school and become an RD now. So do you have any any idea about how how what percentage of registered dietitians who are now in school or or about to become dietitians are plant-based? I don't have that data uh, in terms of how many, but I, it's definitely a big focus um, to be plant forward uh, is definitely a big focus. And I think that you'll be able to see that in the, just the changing landscape of food. Most people who are interested in eating plant-based are, are not vegan or vegetarian. You know, they fall into that flexitarian category. Um, and I think that for the most part, those are the plant-based shoppers and because of this, you know, all dietitians need to be well-versed on vegan and vegetarian eating. Do you think that there are some who still oppose it? I mean, I've, I've been in this a very long time, and I do remember when it was really hard. If you didn't <laughs> know that someone was vegetarian or vegan who was an RD, you could pretty well expect that they would tell you that you certainly needed dairy and probably more. Uh, I mean, I think that that's where a lot of the different, um, not only the cultural competencies come into play, but also having more diversity in our profession. Um, our profession is not very diverse and, you know, that includes the different specialties as well. But I, I think that there definitely are, uh, you know, this, a small percentage of dietitians who might say that you need dairy, but I think for the most part, um, if you're asking dietitians today, I think people would be very accepting with being able to accommodate to your dietary needs. Wow, that's terrific. So Lynn is saying that from her research on, on the programs that, that train RDs, that the college you attend is really important. And she would like to hear from an RD what they think. <laughs> How important <laughs> is it where you go to school? And are there some colleges and universities that just happen to be known for their dietetics program? Yeah, that's a great question. You can't just choose any college you want to go to if you want to study nutrition. You actually have to look for an accredited program. So um, if you're looking for an accredited program, it has to be through ASCEND, A-C-E-N-D, and that's the accrediting body for the Academy of Nutrition and for all of these different nutrition programs. So that's the first step is, you know, what does this college or university have a nutrition program and is it the accredited program? And then once you look at that, um, you go through the program, you also have to look for a dietetic internship, which I think a lot of people don't really know. But once you're done with schooling, you have to fulfill a 1200 hour internship program that typically um, you would have to pay for in addition to your schooling. And in a few years from now, they will be changing the requirements so that a master's degree is required. So these are all some things to consider when you're looking into dietetics. Hmm. Yeah. And one of the, um, some schools, you know, might be more open to holistic practices like Bestier University, uh, but other universities out there, um, you know, you should be able to create the program that 
you'd you'd like to see like you shouldn't be forced to do something that you aren't comfortable with and I think when it comes to the internship piece that's when you can really modify or cater it to your preferences so for example I knew I wanted to focus on food service and I was able to get an internship through Sodexo uh, which is a big food service company and within that program it was focused on leadership and I was able to go through different selectives. So you have to do a clinical rotation, a community rotation, a food service rotation. Um, and you also, in depending on the internship program, you can create a selective rotation or an elective rotation where you get to choose what you'd like to focus on. So within each of those, um, I really wanted to focus on sustainability and I was able to work with my program to create um, experiences that focused on sustainability. Oh, fascinating. I, <laughs> I love it that you have this second career. That's so cool. So so you mentioned Bastyr University. That surprised me because I think of them as being in the naturopathy realm, which at mm-hmm. least until recent times was not very veg friendly. Hmm. So I, I'm thinking like Loma Linda would probably be wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. Loma Linda. Um, and I'm double checking if Best Year has that accredited program. Okay. Um, so I need to make sure that, you know, if you're looking for something accredited program and definitely Loma Linda, I've heard amazing um, experiences. So many of my friends have, you know, been graduates of Loma Linda. Well, I think if if I were a young person wanting to be a vegan dietitian, that would just be like Oz, you know, Bring me to Loma Linda, the only blue zone in America where almost everybody's vegetarian. And I heard they finally allowed a McDonald's into Loma Linda and they interviewed well, this amazing uh, cardiologist. He's just he's passed away at, I think, 106 and wow. practiced till he was 95. And, and they asked him what he thought about the McDonald's. And he said, well, they have every right to be here, but I'm not going. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, I think that that's, you know, you bring up a great point, like Loma Linda is another great program. And um, I also worked with some medical schools. So um, in Southern California, we have the Keck USC School of Medicine. So I worked with them to build their first culinary nutrition uh, course uh, for some of the med students. And so there are a lot of different opportunities um, once you become a dietitian where you can create programs that are focused on um things that you really want to uh, focus on, which is plant-based nutrition. And many people and many programs are very open to that. Um, in fact, the American College of Lifestyle Medicine, ACLM, they have several different clubs that are across different medical schools. So it's things are definitely changing. Um, mm. And even you know on college campuses, there's always uh, different clubs that you can create. Um, and people who are like-minded because right now people aren't becoming vegan or eating a vegan diet just um, because of animals. People are drawn to a vegan diet for so many different reasons, for climate change, for health. So I think there's a, a really big pool of people that um, you, you, you'd be surprised. Mm. So just generally speaking, if a medical school has a great reputation, I'm thinking Johns Hopkins, something like that, is, is that a place where one would also look for a good dietetics program or does that not necessarily correlate? 
Uh, that doesn't correlate. Um, okay. The best place to do it would be to look for accredited nutrition programs through Ascend. Okay. Um, they'll have a full list and you can start doing your research from that list to see based on location, because even in um, California, Southern California, there weren't that many choices. Um, so it really depends on where you live or how far you want to go, mm. how much you want to pay. I went to a state program. I went to a private school in my undergrad and it would, would have been just too much for me, um, to go to another private school for my graduate studies. So I was able to, um, go to California State University, Los Angeles, a state school, and I was, you know, able to get a great education there. Wonderful. And does it matter really what state uh, that, that you're trained in? If you've been to any accredited program in the U.S., you can practice in any state? Uh, you can't. So it depends on the state. Um, you have to get a license from depending on the state. And that's the other thing. State, every state is different. So you really have to look at um, what each state, you know, the licensure regulations for each state. Uh, you will be a registered dietitian anywhere. Um, you could put that, you know, next to your name. But in terms of practicing, uh, it, there are different uh, regulations in every state. I see. And how about the interning? Is, is there much scope for plant-based young dietitians, newly minted yeah, I think that uh, for a lot of different dietitians, um, uh, different interns are reaching out to me as well. You can, you know, once you're doing your different rotations, food service, community nutrition, uh, clinical nutrition, or your elective uh, rotation, depending on the program, uh, you can really choose uh, to be in places. Um, I mean, you have to reach out to the people, but choose to uh, reach out to places that are focused on plant-based. A lot of interns who re reach out to me are interested in sustainability, interested in plant-based nutrition. So that's, um, those are the people that I, I've had um, interns, you know, focus on those different areas. <clears throat> and these people um, that you reach out to are called preceptors. And so you have to see if they are willing to precept you um, and preceptors aren't paid. So, you know, it's, you you should probably approach them in a uh, respectful way to see if they're willing to take you on as an intern. Um, so these are all different things to consider, but you don't have to think about your internship till after you get through your schoolwork. Okay. <laughs> and then what, well, let's just look even further ahead. What about after that? So you're, you're a registered dietitian mm -hmm. or a registered diet, is it dietitian nutritionist? Yeah. Okay. So you, you are this and you're out in the world and you're licensed in your state. So who is going to hire you and be happy that you're vegan? So are, are there opportunities at, at some of these new companies, you know, like the Beyond Meat kind of company or the clean meat industry? I mean, where, where are uh, vegan dietitians going to get work that uh, they can celebrate being vegan? Yeah, I think that it really depends on what you're interested in. One of my good friends, she's actually the dietitian, you know, I'll go through the different rotations, but for clinical, there's a public hospital in New York um, called Bellevue, and they have the first uh, plant-based lifestyle program there. And my friend who's the dietitian there, they um, are, you know, 
creating lifestyle changes for people who are interested and they have hundreds of people on their wait list because they have so many people interested in this uh, lifestyle program. And so in a public hospital, there's this uh, plant-based program to help people. And she's a dietitian in that public hospital. So that's a clinical route. Another clinical route would be, you know, if you had your own private practice. So being able to provide one-on-one counseling for different people who are interested in either changing their diet or, you know, maybe modifying their diet. That would be another way. For me, I'll talk about myself. Um, I work with a lot of different brands um, as well as organizations. And so I specifically work with uh, groups and brands that want to add more plant-based options into you know, into their brand. So either uh, that goes into recipe development, uh, that goes into the marketing piece, it all comes together. But the times are really changing and people are very interested um, in this message. Oh, that's truly exciting. It, it's a it's a wonderful place to be, and I think just the response that people are having now to uh, to to living without animal products mm-hmm. it's very very different from how it was uh, in in the past, as it should be. So, as as a professional. What do you think we should know? And when I say we, most of my listeners are already vegan or very close to vegan. So we've kind of got the basics, but what do we really need to know to eat healthy forever? I think um, to eat healthy forever, I mean, I think that it's, you know, focusing on foods, of course, like, you know, like you said, most listeners, you know, are already vegan, and you've probably had so many different guests on here share so many different uh, gems. But for me, I think it's really about, of course, eating a plant based diet, but also about um, my culture and about food memories, especially now, because uh, I'm not able to see my family, and I haven't been able to see them for over a year because of what's happening. So it's whatever that can also bring a little bit of joy into my life when I'm eating to think about them. Oh, that's beautiful, and and that that's not what I would have expected a registered dietitian to say, but it's so important and so holistic because we're not just nutrient processors. <laughs> Mm-hmm, exactly. I mean, it's it's everything. And I think that's one thing that isn't talked about so much is, you know, celebrating the, the foods that you grew up with. Um, you know, we hear so many different messages about, you know, of course, like salads are great and I enjoy them. But, you know, just this week I made myself a delicious grain bowl with uh, braised tofu and it just really reminded me of my mom's cooking. Ah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That that means a lot. I I have recently become very interested in Ayurveda, and even though I don't have an Indian heritage, it's almost like I've adopted it. And when I find a fabulous res- recipe that's full of you know um, cumin and curry and <laughs> stuff like that, it's starting to feel like oh, this can be mine too. So. Food is pretty magical. Yeah, and thank exactly. You, thank you so much for working in a way that uh, helps people get the very best of it. So if people want to find you, they can look at eatsustainablefoods.com. 
and you've got lots going on over there. You're also Eat Sustainable Foods on Instagram. Thank you so much, Shereen Chu. Chow, I'm sorry I said it right all the way. No worries. (laughs) Too much talking about food, I said chew. Okay, we'll be back with Brenda Davis. Thank you. Human design is a system that offers profound insights into your inner self and how you interact with the world around you. Quantum human design takes that process one step further, allowing you to become the architect of your own reality. Join Dr. Karen Curry for Elevating Your Life Script, a weekend workshop where you transform your life by crafting intentional narratives, May 24th through 26th at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. Practical spirituality. Positive messages. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. Hey, everybody. What a pleasure to have you with us today. If you're new or if you're not new, but you're not getting the Main Street Vegan blog and occasional newsletter, you can just text the word vegan to 555-444. And that will get you the weekly blog post and the every now and then newsletter and we'd love to be connected with you you know we also have a group on facebook main street vegan podcast listeners group and that puts you in the inner circle and you can ask for what you want to hear just like uh lynn uh the the listener requested what we're doing this show on today so it's this is for you we do it for you and so whatever you want whatever you need just ask and we will do our very best to accommodate so for our second half today brenda davis another amazing registered dietitian is joining us now brenda has been on this show several times before so if you go to the archives in Apple Podcasts or Unity Online Radio or wherever you listen, you can just plug in Brenda Davis and you can find her her previous uh, interviews as well because it's really worth becoming a Brenda Davis fan if you want to eat healthy and happy and kind in this world. Brenda is an RD and a leader in her field, as well as an internationally acclaimed speaker. As a prolific nutrition and health writer, she has co-authored 12 books with nearly a million copies in print in 14 languages. Her most recent works include, well, one that's not quite out yet, Nourish, that she has co-authored with uh, Dr. Rejma Shah. And in fact, spoiler alert, Brenda's coming back in November with Dr. Shaw to talk about that book, Nourish, which is about raising kids and being a, a plant-based family, which is 
a book that has long been needed. Uh, Brenda also uh, wrote uh, the Kick Diabetes Essentials, the Kick Diabetes Cookbook that she co-authored with Vasanto Molina, RD. So she is one prolific lady and she lifts weights on the side. Welcome, Brenda Davis. Oh, thank you so much, Victoria. It's great to be back. Well, it's wonderful to hear you as ever. You're just one of those people who is a happy maker. I hear your voice and everything lifts up a notch. Oh, thank so, you so much. <laughs> well, for those people who don't know you, give us the abbreviated version of how you got to be a vegan and a vegan dietitian. Oh, wow. Uh, well, you know, I was a public health nutritionist in northern Ontario and even as a teenager, I was I was intrigued by the vegetarian world. I loved the idea of of not uh, slaughtering animals. But what really triggered my my uh, sh- complete shift to a plant based diet or a vegan diet uh, happened in the late 1980s. So this is a long time ago. You can relate to that, Victoria. Um, and I, um, I, I was just having coffee, or I don't even drink coffee, but I was serving coffee to a, to a friend who was on his way deer hunting, and I challenged him, you know, about shooting another innocent animal. And really, it was what he said uh, in response to my challenge that changed the course of my life. Um, he said, you know, just because you don't have the guts to pull the trigger does not mean you're not responsible for the trigger being pulled every time you eat a piece of meat, you know, or buy a piece of meat camouflaged in cellophane in the grocery store. Um, He said, at least the animals I eat have had a life. Um, And it, it made me begin to take responsibility for the food I was eating, and I began to really research Uh, animal agriculture, and it took me about a week to two weeks to uh, say, I can't can't be part of this system of cruelty anymore, and I'm a registered dietitian. I should know how to figure out how to feed myself and my family without contributing to this, and that was it. Oh, and here we are, (laughs) and And you do such amazing work, and do you have Lots of videos on YouTube or somewhere so people can see you actually 3D. Yeah, there are a lot of videos, especially from The Real Truth About Health, uh, but other um, conferences as well. So Wonderful. Yeah. Great. Okay, well, let's jump in to the questions posed by uh, our listener and my Main Street Vegan Academy graduate and lovely friend, Lynn Cowie. She had read an article about choline and that maybe vegans aren't getting enough complicated by the fact that some people get too much and it contributes to heart disease so these are these kind of thorny questions that that Mm -hmm. people need to know about so brenda davis tell us all there is that we should know about choline and what should we do about it well, choline is a, a B vitamin, and it was just deemed essential in 1998 by the Institute of Medicine. So it wasn't even considered essential before that because we actually produce choline um, ourselves. But uh, we, you know, research found that we probably weren't producing enough for optimal health. And in some individuals, uh, they lack the... Uh, 
is sort of the uh, metabolic machinery to produce sufficient choline. Uh, so for those people with these, you know, genetic variations, then it can be even harder. But for the average healthy person, uh, we probably aren't producing quite enough. So we need to get some in our uh, food. Now, the, we don't have an RDA for choline. Uh, we have something called an adequate intake because we actually don't know enough yet to have an RDA, which is, you know, more specific. But the AI is, is 550 milligrams per day for men and about 425 for women. Unless you're pregnant or lactating, then it's, it's uh, uh, higher. But uh, what people need to know is, is those AIs were based on uh, really very limited data. So, so what we have is we have a study that found that people that consumed less than 50 milligrams of choline got symptoms of deficiency like fatty liver and increased liver enzymes and, you know, these kinds of things. And, and so we know we probably need more than 50. They fed people 500 milligram supplements and it seemed to do the trick. And, and the, you know, the, the research is kind of all over the place. We actually don't know exactly how much we need. And my guess is that the amount we need varies quite dramatically with each, each individual. Now, the, the other thing that we need to know is probably only 10 or 11% of the population actually get the AI, you know, what's, what's recommended. Uh, and not very many people, even omnivores, and, and animal products are uh, more concentrated sources than plant foods. And so even they don't get, you know, probably 8% of, of uh, pregnant and lactating women get what's recommended. It's, it, most of us will probably get 250 to 300 milligrams a day, especially women. You know, the more you eat, obviously, the more you're going to get. If you're an athlete burning four or 5,000 calories, you're going to get more. But we don't really know if that's enough. It, it's our, you know, the AI is like a best guess. And my guess is for most people, you know, getting 300 is probably, you know, reasonable if you're, you know, eating, especially if you're eating enough folate. If you don't get enough folate, you actually need more choline because uh, they do some of the same work, uh, provide their methyl donors and so forth. So, so that, I mean, I'm going on, it's, a, it's a, a bit of a long way around to get to the answer to say, you know, if you're pregnant or lactating, you might want to choose a prenatal supplement with choline. Uh, if you're not, then make sure you have some sort of semi-decent sources of choline in your diet, which, you know, for people who are vegan, uh, soy products are, you know, up at the top of the list, shiitake mushrooms, uh, uh, and then things like, um, you know, legumes like kidney beans and quinoa and even dark greens like collards and um, Brussels sprouts are surprisingly a uh, good source. So there, there are a lot of, you know, cauliflower, peas, peanut butter, um, walnuts, almonds. Uh, um, so there, there are a number of sources. And so you want, generally, choline is fairly widely distributed in the food supply. It's just the amounts in plant foods. Most, a serving of plant foods will generally contain somewhere, you know, 15 to, to 35 or you know, some of the soy foods are upwards of 50 or more. But, but it's in that range, and so you're, you know, you're not going to get, you know, 425 milligrams from one food. Uh, so we just need to be aware of that. Okay. So would you 
recommend that anyone who's not pregnant or lactating take a supplement even every now and then? And what are the dangers if somebody decided to supplement on a regular basis? Yeah, so if you have a multivitamin, um, you know, the upper limit for choline, I think it's about 3,500, um, I think it's 3,500 milligrams a day uh, is the upper limit. So you definitely don't want to exceed that. Uh, I would, if, if, you've, if you've got a multi that has some choline in it, you probably, you know, don't want to exceed that, that sort of AI around the 500 milligrams would be, you know, fine. Uh, I wouldn't worry too much, to be honest, about a vegan taking in, you know, too much. Uh, yeah, no, obviously not above the upper limit, but but that whole concern about heart disease is related to um, the, the production of TMAO. And, and so when you consume carnitine or choline, uh, there are bacteria in your, in your uh, intestines that can convert uh, those compounds into something called trimethylamine. That trimethylamine is then shuttled to the liver where it gets converted into quite an atherogenic compound or a compound that increases your risk of heart disease or plaque formation called trimethylamine and oxide or TMAO. And, and so the concern is that because, because choline is one of the precursors of the, the TMA uh, formation, that you, know, you could increase your risk of heart disease. But what we know is that you need a certain type of bacteria in your gut to do that conversion. And vegans don't seem to have that kind of bacteria. Uh, even in studies where they fed vegans a steak where, you know, it's got carnitine and choline and everything else, they didn't make any TMAO because they didn't have the bacteria to make it. So it's, it's not nearly as much of a concern uh, for vegans as it is for omnivores. Great. Now, the other thing that Lynn wanted to know, and I'll bet a bunch of other people do, she says, I would love to listen to an RD talk about the quantities of the eight or so most vital nutrients that we should be aware of, especially for teens and mature vegans. So I'm going to start with a couple that you mentioned. Uh, one is folate. Yeah. Uh, where do we get it? How much do we need? Well, folate is a B vitamin, uh, and, and it's a very important B vitamin. It helps us to produce amino acids. It, it's imp important for the production of DNA and our amino, our amino acids. It, it actually is critical for cell division and red blood cell production. It helps us to eliminate that homocysteine compound that can increase our risk of heart disease. So it's a really important nutrient. And, and in fact, people eating plant-based diets consistently have higher intakes than omnivores um, because the most concentrated sources, you can tell just by the name, folate, foliage, uh, it comes from leafy greens, avocados, beans of various sorts. Um, there's some in fruits and nuts and seeds and grains. And, you know, there is some in liver and seafood and fish, but, but the, the concentrated sources are plant foods. So people that are eating a whole food, plant-based diet uh, tend to do very well in terms of their folate uh, intake. And, and there is a difference, and this, this is uh, important for people to know too, there's a difference between folate and folic acid. So folate is the natural compound that's in plants 
Folic acid is the synthetic compound that is found in supplements and fortified foods. And, and both will decrease risk of neural tube defects, but folic acid, not folate, may actually increase risk of some types of cancer, especially if people exceed the upper limit, which is 1,000 micrograms a day for, for adults. So okay, that's something so ideally we can get our folate from our greens. Now, you mentioned something else, just like folate sounds really vegan, this one sounds really paleo, and that's carnitine. What is it, and do we need it? Well, carnitine is um, is an amino acid that we produce in our, you know, that we produce in our bodies, and and certainly vegans uh, have lower levels than uh, non-vegetarians or omnivores, and whether or not that is, um, you know, a huge concern is is really a bit debatable. We don't know for sure. However, um, there is some evidence that it may help with performance, with elite athlete uh, performance. And so some people, especially bodybuilders, like to take a little bit of extra carnitine uh, for that reason. Is it possible to get it in a vegan form? Uh, carnitine, no. We we um, carnitine is is technically it's found in animal products, and I don't know of any carnitine that would be found in plant foods. So okay, make, and we have make, tons of vegan elite athletes who oh, <laughs> seem sure, to be doing fine sure. without it. Okay, yeah. so um, then Lynn was actually listing um, a, a few things. B12, we know we need it, but exactly how much do we need? Yeah, so B12 is, is um, you know, a, a, one, the one nutrient that you really can't get from plant foods. Uh, and, and so you need to have either fortified foods or supplements to get your B12. Now, there are lots of people that say, oh, well, you can get little bits from mushrooms and little bits from seaweed and little bits from, you know, duckweed and all of these different kinds of things. But but these, at this point in time, are not considered reliable sources. Even fermented foods, you know, they have to be fermented in fairly unsanitary conditions to have reasonable amounts of B12. So generally, the reliable sources are supplements and fortified foods. And so how much do you need? Well, it depends on, on how you're actually uh, consuming that B12. So, so if you're consuming it in uh, the form of fortified foods, then um, you, know, you want to be getting probably at least four to seven micrograms a day. And so you're, you're wanting that in a, ideally three servings of food. So say a food has two micrograms, you would do that in at least two or three servings. Otherwise, if you're doing supplements, you can do uh, supplements once a day, you can do supplements twice a week, you can do supplements uh, once a week. Uh, if you're doing supplements once a week, uh, or, or sorry, twice a week, ideally, uh, it would be a thousand micrograms a time. And, and a lot of people will say, well, that all we need is 2.4 micrograms. Why do we need to take a thousand micrograms twice a week? Shouldn't that be, you know, many times above what we need? But the reality is actually that that we don't um, absorb much when we take in a large bolus like that. 
so we might absorb, you know, um, maybe 1% when we're taking 1,000 micrograms. So that's why we need to, to take so much. Now, if we're consuming a small amount, like say one microgram from a fortified food, we'll absorb about 50%. And, and then the other thing to know about B12 is a lot of omnivores uh, falsely assume that they can absolutely rely on the B12 in animal products all their lives. But once you hit 50, you're a bit, see, B12 is actually bound to protein in animal products. And once you hit 50, your ability to cleave the B12 off the protein it's bound to diminishes. And so probably, you know, an estimated 10 to 30% of people over 50 can't really get B12 off the animal products that it's bound to. And so they can develop a B12 deficiency even though their diet contains a significant amount of B12. Fascinating. Thank you. So uh, iodine is the next thing um, that we've been asked about. Yeah, so, so iodine is, again, it's, it's one of those nutrients that is uh, definitely a potential uh, concern on a plant-based diet. And, and, and one of the reasons is, is that iodine is, can be an issue for anybody, uh, omnivorous or, 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 or vegan. Uh, but um, it, it, we add iodine. The amount of iodine in food varies with the place in which the food comes from. And so, of course, seaweed has a lot of iodine, but, but land plants, um, it, they vary a lot depending on where, you know, how much iodine is in the soil uh, that it's grown in. And so, uh, so it, our amounts can be pretty, pretty questionable. The biggest sources of iodine in the diet are, are fish and seaweed and dairy products and iodized salt. So, you know, when you remove the fish and seafood and dairy products and eggs and, and iodized salt, which many vegans do, they don't want, uh, you know, salt that's iodized, so they'll select Himalayan sea salt or, or you know, some sort of, of fancy sea salt, and it's not a good source of iodine. So then you say, well, where else is the iodine coming from? And it can come from, if they eat seaweeds, but a little bit from grains, a little bit from fruits and vegetables, but it may not be enough. So uh, what you need is about 150 micrograms a day as an adult. Of course, it's a little less for children, but not much less. And this is the most shocking thing. An infant, zero to six months of age, needs 110 micrograms. An infant, seven to 12 months of age, needs 130 micrograms. Uh, and, and that's almost what an adult needs. And you think an adult might weigh 150 pounds and an infant might weigh 15 pounds. Uh, so, so iodine is absolutely critical uh, for, um, you know, brain function. It's critical for thyroid hormone production. Uh, and it's, you know, a lack of iodine is actually the number one cause of, um, of mental retardation or incapacity on the planet. It, and it, it, that happens mostly in developing countries, but it isn't a nutrient we want to ignore. It's a very, very important nutrient. So how do we make sure we get enough? You can choose iodized salt, like, uh, like uh, iodized sea salt even, um, or you can make sure your supplement contains some iodine, or you can use little bits of seaweed. One of the dangers with seaweed 
is seaweed contain, contains a lot of iodine, especially kelp. And if you're using kelp, one-sixteenth of a teaspoon generally provides about 150 micrograms. So if you're using a teaspoon, you're ODing. The upper limit of iodine is 1,100 micrograms. So you need to be very, very careful to know the, you know, sort of the level of iodine that, that is contained in the various seaweeds. And uh, nori isn't as big of an issue, uh, but, but kelp is. And so if you're using it, it's in a little sprinkler and you're just using a tiny amount. Perfect. Then I remember the page I was reading in your book, Becoming Vegan, about zinc. And I looked at the RDA and I looked at where zinc is found in plant foods, and I thought, I'm really going to have to become fond of pumpkin seeds or start taking a supplement. So tell us a little bit about zinc. Well, zinc is, is um, required for the functioning of a lot of enzymes in the body. It, it, it's needed for you know, protein and DNA production. It's, it's important for our immune function and cell division. And, and it's also super important for the growth and development of young children. And, and so that, you know, it's just really critical. As a matter of fact, in parts of the world where there's an insufficient um, amount of zinc in the food supply, the children tend to be quite stunted um, and, and where we see very, very severe deficiency. Um, then we see de delayed sexual development and, you know, hair loss, uh, all sorts of things happening. And, and so we, we do need to be careful to get, um, you know, enough zinc. However, we don't want to exceed the upper limit, which is 40 milligrams. So the, the RDA for, for zinc for women is about 8 milligrams and for men about 11 milligrams. Uh, but the upper limit at 40 isn't that much higher. And if you're taking supplements... Um, you definitely can, uh, you know, end up a little, little bit high pretty quickly. So you just want to be careful of that. Um, but you do want to be eating uh, good sources of zinc. And if you take a multi, just make sure it's got some zinc. And if you provide a child with a multivitamin, you want to make sure it, it, it does provide. And normally for a child, you know, they'll need somewhere between 3 and 8 milligrams, depending on their age. Uh, and, and uh, you know, a typical supplement might provide three or something, which would definitely get them over the top pretty easily. But the main plant sources of zinc are legumes, nuts, and seeds. There's a little bit in whole grains, and some foods are even fortified with zinc, um, but generally it's, it's, it's the same, you know, sources as would be sources of iron and protein. So, so those foods are really pretty important in a, in a plant-based diet, especially uh, for grown children. And, and so beans, nuts, and seeds. And, and you mentioned pumpkin seeds. They're a particularly rich source of zinc. Uh, cashews are a good source of zinc as well. Uh, so those kinds of foods regularly consumed will certainly help you to get to that Fantastic. And, and yeah. Brenda Davis regularly listened to, we'll be sure and keep us healthy. We didn't get to all the nutrients, but you're coming back on in November. So uh, we'll pick up on the rest then. Brenda Davis, Great. bless your heart. And thank you so much. Thank you for your wisdom and thank you for your spirit. And well, thank, thank you, you, everyone listening. Such a pleasure to have you on board with this Main Street Vegan podcast. We have been around since 2012 and hope to be long into the future as long as we're providing a service for you. God bless. Eat your veggies.
Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. What is it you really want in life? No matter what you've been through, you can still achieve it. I'm Sandra Ann Taylor, and in my Energy Activation podcast, we'll explore the science of manifestation, and I'll give you specific techniques to shift your energy in order to make your dreams a reality. I also do live energy readings, and you can be a part of the show by emailing your questions to me at sandrataylor.net. Join me on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.